1 Samuel chapter 4. You know, life is uh, sometimes very difficult. We make uh, decisions, some decisions that we make are uh, stupid. We, we, we do things that, uh, we do things that no vaccine can fix. We uh, put expectations on God that uh, God would never want to do. So with that in mind, we come to this passage of Scripture that talks about some foolish things that God's people did. And because they did these foolish things, people were killed. The ark of God was taken. The troops, the army of Israel was decimated. Simply because we think that we could take matters into our own hands and go beyond and above the will of God. So let's look at this passage from Philippians chapter, Philippians, 1 Samuel chapter 4. Beginning at verse 1. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped in Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. So the people went sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. <clears throat> As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the camp, all Israel shot with a great shout, so that earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does this noise of this great shout in the camp of Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid. They said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage, empty men. O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore be men and fight. So the, so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Let's pray. 
Father, may we learn from this message today. Lord, that it is, it should not be us who invites us, who invites you to come to our camp. But Lord, it is you who invites us to join you. Father, may we be careful not to do that which goes beyond what you have instructed us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> as long as my voice holds out, I want you to please listen. When it fades away completely, I'll just mouth the stuff. I'll just lip sync it and you just sit there. There are, there are three places that you need to know about. First of all, let me say this. When you, when you read the Bible and you come up with a name of a place, sometimes we hear the name of that place and uh, we just read over it. Uh, let, me, let me give you some good instruction here. Don't be so anxious to read through your Bible so quick. You say, man, I've read through that in nine months. I'd rather you took two years to read through it and know what you're reading. You know, uh, God's not looking and saying, man, did you finish it in a year? <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, it takes me about a year and a half to read through the Bible one time. Because I look up these places. There are three places mentioned here. Shiloh. Aphek and Ebenezer. Now, if you can imagine in your mind, do you, I hope you all know where Jerusalem is at. Jerusalem is on the, the western side of the Dead Sea. Of the, of the Dead sea. It's kind of like north central Dead Sea. But just to the west of it. Now, if, you, if you're an archaeologist-minded person, it is on the Cisjordan side. It is on the, it's on the western side of the Jordan. And if you go straight up from the mid-central part of the Dead Sea, you'll come to Jerusalem. 20 miles north of Jerusalem is a place called Shiloh. Shiloh is where the Ark of God at that time was at. It was in Shiloh. And then 20 miles to the west of Shiloh, 20 miles to the west, is a place called Aphek. And that's where the army of the Philistines was stationed. And right next to Aphek is a small town called Ebenezer. And that's where the army of Israel was at. The word Ebenezer, if you, when you sing the song here, I raise my Ebenezer. That word Ebenezer means the stone or the altar of help. It's a, it's a royal place. It's where the, the people... Go to meet God at the altar. They bow their knee before God. And that's where Israel's army was at. Anyway, so those are the three places. So when we come to verse 2 of our text, there are two significant points worth noting. First, Israel and the Philistines meet in battle. And the army of Israel is defeated so it is right here that we look for application. How does this apply to the church today? Everything we as a church attempt to do in the church and in the service to honor our Lord is not always successful. 
we do things sometimes that are just absolutely foolhardy. And it doesn't work out. So what do we do? We go back to the drawing board. We try something else, don't we? And, and oftentimes, we, like Israel, go back to the drawing board and uh, we lick our wounds, so to speak. And we ask ourselves the same question the Israelites ask after they were defeated in this first skirmish with, with the Philistines. And verse 3 tells you what that question is. Why has the Lord allowed us to be defeated? In every church, the people come up with a plan to promote whatever strategy they have. They, they, they plan it, they promote it, they implement it, and ultimately it fails. Now why does that happen? <coughs> why does that happen? As we read through this account, as I preach through this account, you'll find out why this stuff happens in the church. And why the church over the years has become more and more anemic and more subject to failure. It is because we fail to learn from our, we, 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 we fail to learn from our failures. That when we fail at doing something, it ought to be a teaching experience for us. But we don't allow it to become a teaching experience. We do the same thing over and over. And you, you know what they say when you do the same thing over and over, expect different results. It's insanity. But we do that. The second thing I want to point out is Israel's battle with the Philistines was an attempt to throw off the burden, the yoke that the Philistines had placed on them. And they say, some commentators say it was up to 40 years that Israel served as their, as their servants, their slaves. So what Israel does is to assemble in a battle formation at Ebenezer. They form in a battle formation and, and they face their enemy. Just like we do. The church comes together and we, we, we form a strategy. We, we, we have a battle plan, so to speak. And we go out to fight our enemy. And that enemy, of course, is, you know, the world and Satan. And we fight against our enemy. But listen to what Paul says, because we, we read this and we don't learn from it. But Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, Our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, the battle that we fight is against an enemy we can't see. But we fight that battle. We fight that battle unprepared for war. We're unprepared for it. And because we're unprepared for it, we continue to lose. And there's a reason for that. And it's simply because we, our expectation is that we put a plan together and we ask God to come and join us in our plan to fight our enemy. And God, and God says, why? Why do you put a plan together and expect me to join you? God's idea is this. How about, how about I put the plan together? Because God has a plan in his book. God tells us what we should do. He says, I put the plan together. How about you, the church, joining me? 
But we don't want to do that because to join God <clears throat> means that we don't get to do what we want to do. You see, I've discovered that <clears throat> when God says I'm to evangelize, that good night, I got to meet somebody face to face. And I got to talk to them about Jesus. And they're liable to laugh at me. Or the level to shut the door in my face. Or, God forbid, maybe God tells us that we should be discipling and mentoring people. But if we disciple and mentor people, maybe we need to become vulnerable. And I don't want people, I don't want to become vulnerable to you. You know, if you knew everything there was to know about me, you may not like me. But before you get too uppity, if I knew all there was to know about you, I may not like you. So God develops this plan, and we think we have a better one. So we put down, we have plans and strategies and ideas that we're going to do, and we, we meet together, and we calendar all these things. And we do a whole year's worth of calendaring. Say, God, this is what we're going to do. And then God says, I bet you can't finish that. What happens? We planned, we promoted, we implemented, but no victory. I want to take the remaining time of this message I want to look at two major errors that Israel made. And might I add that we far too often as a church make. It is these two mistakes, these two errors that are repeated over and over and over and over again. And it seems for some reason there is little or no effort given to correct them. So here's number one. <clears throat> Let's take a look at the first problem, the first mistake. That first mistake is the most crucial one. And it involves the idea of leadership. Have you considered the leadership that Israel had? When you get a ding-dong to be your leader, you get those results. And that's what they had. Let's look at this. A guy by the name of A.W. Tozer. Maybe some of you have heard of A.W. Tozer. Great man of God. If you could read his stuff, get his stuff and read it. It's worth the read. But A.W. Tozer writes concerning leaders. A true and safe leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead. But is forced into a position of leadership by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit and the press of external, the external situation. One of my favorite golfers, who no longer golfs anymore, maybe he does, I don't know if he's even alive anymore, a guy by name, maybe you heard of him, Chi-Chi Rodriguez. I love Chi-Chi Rodriguez. When he'd sink a putt, he'd draw his putter out like this, like, like he was slaying a bull. Love Chi-Chi, but he made a statement one time. 
when he was about 50-something years old, he won a major title. The last one he won. And he sunk, he, he made this putt that was an incredible putt. And, the, and after the, the match was over, he was, he was being talked to by the sports announcer. And they commented about this heroic putt that he made. Normally you would take two putts, putts to sink this, but he went for it in one putt. He made it. And he says, Chi-Chi, that, that was a heroic effort. And Chi-Chi Rodriguez says, heroes are made in the moment of crisis. The fool comes in. Whether it be a pastor or would be the leader of an army, it doesn't matter. But the fool comes in and immediately wants to be the big dog in the pound, the big duck in the pond. He wants everybody to know that he's in charge, that I'm the leader, that I'm on the top, and you're the bottom. Nobody wants to listen to that kind of leader. Israel had, Israel had leaders like that. They wanted people to know that they were significant. In 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1, we find a young man named Samuel. And he's mentioned as being a prophet, a judge in all of Israel. You know what's really interesting? I'm going to be going through 1 Samuel 4, 5, 6, and 7. <clears throat> in Samuel 4, 5, and 6, Samuel's name, the prophet, the man of God, is mentioned one time. Just so you understand how important this is, in chapter 3, before this battle, he's mentioned some 20 times. In one chapter, 20 times. But in chapters 4, 5, and 6, one time. They set him aside, and they put two other men in his place. Two worthless fellows named Hophni and Phinehas. If you ever want to lose a battle, these are your men. Hophni and Phinehas were the sons of the prophet of the judge Eli. He was a priest of God, the high priest in Israel. And Eli lived in Shiloh, where the ark of God was at. That's where he lived. A good, godly, holy man. But he was weak and indecisive. You don't need that kind of leader either. Stand your ground. But it's another story. These two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were scoundrels, detestable and profane. They were disobedient to the law of God. 1 Samuel 2.12 says of them, 
Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They became their leaders. Yeah, they're going to march. We're going to march the army into battle. Is that who you'd want for your leaders? In verse 3 of our text, we read that some of the other leaders of Israel said, Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Isn't it amazing that these foolish speculations led them to think in some way that they would invoke the presence of God into their camp? And they gave no thought that what was needed on their part was not the ark of God. They didn't need the ark of God. <clears throat> what they needed is what we need in a church today. Repentance and reformation. We are weak, effectless people. Because we don't understand what God wants of us. We are creating our own programs, our own ideas, and we're wanting God to bless that. Instead of us going on our knees and saying, God, what do you want? We want to join you. Not you join us, but we need to join you. Over the years of my ministry, we have gone from program to program. I'm sure you have to, from strategy to strategy. <coughs> from idea to idea as to how we might be successful in ministry. To increase the attendance and worship. To be victorious in our spiritual ventures. We, we, we plan, we, we promote, we implement and most unfortunately, we would often come up short. And why? My friends, let me ask you, where's the repentance? Where is the reformation? Where's the spiritual meditation on the Word of God? that is necessary in order to ensure that it was not, not so much that God was in our camp, but rather that we were in His. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, are we the church in God's camp? Or are we inviting and invoking Him, His presence to be a part of what we're doing? If our agenda is to establish something where we could minister to our community but we have no validation from God that he's in it then why are we doing it? <coughs> why are we why would we dismiss what God says? Because we come up with our own plan. I'm not saying we shouldn't minister of course we minister to our community but we need to minister into a way that we, we know that we're doing what God wants us to do. Not doing something because we just want to be active. Listen, you can be active trying to dodge bullets. That's activity. I don't want to be that kind. You want to be that kind of a church where we're dodging bullets? 
There's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. Anyway, Israel goes to Shiloh, to the house of Eli, and removes the ark of God. And they have the support of these two worthless guys, Hophni and Phinehas. And, and Eli, the man of God, has no backbone or courage to stop it. He lets it happen. What about now? How many of those who profess to be Christians have merely taken the external idea, just like Israel took that external idea of the ark and they made it to be God? How many of us have taken the external concept of Jesus and made that our God? You've heard Jesus preached. He's been taught to you in Sunday school. We read about him. We learn about him. But all that some people know about Jesus is the fact that they say, well, I believe that Jesus is God. Well, that's wonderful. So does the devil. To say that Jesus is God is nothing new. And it doesn't save you. Coming to this camp doesn't save you. Saying that Jesus is God does not save you. Because Jesus is not looking to be some external Santa Claus to you. He's not some external warrior that's going to come up with drawn sword and fight your battles. Jesus is not to be externalized. He's to be internalized. Internalized. He's to be within you. And you say, well, where do you get that in Scripture? Well, I get that in Scripture from John chapter 8, where there are people who says that they believed in Jesus. They became his followers. And you know what Jesus says to them in John 8, 43 and 44? <clears throat> he says, you're of your father, the devil. You don't know me. You don't know my words. It is not just saying, it's not just saying that Jesus Christ is God. When I talk about internalizing Jesus, you must absolutely put your trust into Jesus Christ. Jesus, this is my life. I'm a worm, wretched person. I am miserable. My life is filled with sin. And Jesus, listen to this, Jesus, you don't come here, I'm going to go to you. You've pursued me with your love, now because you've pursued me with your love, I'm coming to you in faith and repentance. I want to join you, Jesus, I want to join you in your camp. Don't come to me in my camp, I'm coming to your camp. I want your ideas to be my ideas, not my ideas, your ideas. I'm to be the church. And as the church, I'm your body, but you are the head. I yield myself to your plans, to your strategies, to your ideas. And Lord, when I plan and promote and implement, I want to plan, promote, and implement what, what you want. Not what I think that we should have. 
if you want to free yourself from the hand of the enemy, my friends, then Jesus Christ must become more to you than some external God. You can preach about him, teach, read, talk, and discuss him, but he will never show his power in you than what he did for Israel at that time. Unless you know him as your Savior. By the way, how is it possible, think about this for just a moment, how is it possible that any, any sinful person or persons think that they can just simply invite God to join them in their endeavors? Have you ever thought about that? If we are sinful, would it not be audacious of us to say, God, join me in what I do? It isn't we who invite God to join with us, but rather it is God who leads us to join with him. God leads us to join with him. He does not discuss with us the terms of his covenant he establishes the terms and the conditions we don't we are the recipients of God's covenant not the givers of it we're the recipients of it 1 Peter 1 3 <coughs> 1 Peter 1 3 says <coughs> seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. And then I have underlined the rest of this. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. God calls out to us. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. All you labor and heavy laden. Come to me. You who want to be warriors of the cross. Come to me, you who want to lift the standard of God's word high above. Come to me, you who say that you're disciples of Jesus. Come to me, who you say that you want to be God's sheep in his fold. You come to me. But here we are. We say, God, God, you come to us. And if I could colloquialize what God would say would be this. Ain't going to happen. We go to God on his terms. He does not come to us on ours. They did not give God's, they did not have God's approval to move the ark from Shiloh either, did they? In fact, God has given explicit orders to Israel as to where the ark was to be placed. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy 12, 11, it says, Then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell, there you will bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution of your hand, and all your choice votive offerings, which you will bow to the Lord. God says, I've selected a place. Don't come here empty-handed. Listen. God has chosen a place. He says, don't approach me empty-handed. 
You made a vow to me. Keep that vow. You come here and you say, you're going to support me. Support my church. Then you do that. Oh, Lord, I got a better idea. I've heard this. You know, Lord, I can't give you my, my money, but I'll give you my time. Sounds great, doesn't it? God says, I want your time, I want your talent, and I want your treasure. I want every bit of you, 100%. Don't come to me with 25% of yourself. You give me 100% of who you are, and I'll make you successful. Not successful in business, but I'll make you successful that when you enter into the battlefield, that one of you will chase a thousand. Oh, but Lord, I got a better idea. Here, listen, I'm going to cut a deal with you, Jesus. Here's the deal. I'll come to church when I can. And I'll give what I can give, but God, you know how much I love you. And God says, yeah, I know how much you love me, about 32% worth. God chooses the place where he chooses to dwell and where he dwells we support him and where he is at had they never heard and learned from Moses that when the ark was set forward when it was getting ready to move out as they prepared to move out and Moses and Aaron would march, be, would march before the people and the Levites would be carrying the ark of God and Moses would say, rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. The church needs to cry out, rise up, O Lord. We're, we're, we're trying to raise ourselves up, but we need to be raising God up. Folks, it was not the ark moving with them, but God appearing before them that brought the victory. And friends, it's not the church moving out in, in form and fashion that ensures success. It is the church moving out under God's leadership that ensures success. We can plan, promote, and implement all we want, but unless it is by God's decree, it will fail. Before we move on to the second and final point or error made by Israel, I want to look at one more thing concerning leadership because it's so important. Leadership is so important. If there had been nothing else that went wrong with this whole mess, <clears throat> just, just the persons of Hophni and Phinehas would destroy any possibility of a blessing. These guys were scoundrels, miserable men. Don't ever put something like that in leadership, ever. These were the men 
who had the nerve to pick up the ark and carry it. The Bible says these men were worthless. And they thought themselves esteemed enough and worthy enough that they should grab hold of the ark of God. Is it any wonder why Israel failed? This alone nullified any blessing. So now we come to Israel's second major mistake. They underestimated the power and determination of the enemy. Don't ever underestimate your enemy. When the ark arrived at Israel's camp, the men shouted and became revived in spirit as it came into view. The Philistines, on the other hand, had become terrified. Woe was us. Woe was us. Now then, listen closely. God's name. God's name may be great in the eyes of those who oppose him. But to the world, we the church may be seen as weak and foolish. And why? Because the world, like the Philistines, have made their way into the ranks of the church. And we, the church, have allowed the world to influence our thoughts, our desires, and our activities. Why would the church put any unregenerate person in leadership position? Let me tell you, I've sat in a many nominating committee meeting. I pulled my hair out. It's obvious, isn't it? <clears throat> Hi, this is, uh, this is Joe from the nominating committee, or this is Barb from the money. And uh, Fred would like to ask, I'm just making up these names, these not real people. Fred would like to ask you, would you like to lead the uh, pastor search committee? Now, Fred attends church about 10 times a year. Would you lead this? Or would you be in charge of our fight? Would you be our finance person? The head of personnel, whatever it is, whatever. Would you be our WMU leader, whatever. This person don't even know Jesus. Here's the reasoning. Here's the reasoning. <clears throat> We need somebody to fill this position. I want to tell you something right now. I'd rather have nobody than have anybody. Forget it. Drop it like a hot potato. Nobody is better than anybody. Because you know what you get from anybody? Nothing. You get nothing. I can get nobody to do nothing. We need to make sure that when we put people into positions, that that person knows Jesus Christ. Absolutely, they know Jesus Christ. Whether it's a Sunday school teacher or whatever it might be, they need to know Jesus. Israel had put itself 
Buddhist belief in the idea that where the ark was, God was sure to go. Have you ever thought that the church is not the CEO of God's organization? I believe that the head of the church is not you or me, but Jesus. I am not the CEO. You are not the CEO. We may hold an office in the church, but there's only one boss. Only one boss. And that's Jesus. Israel was defeated in battle that day. Hophni and Phinehas were killed along with 30,000 other Israelites. And the ark was taken by the Philistines. So what, is, what do we learn from this as we close? This edifice is a building. Take the pews out. You can turn it into a dance hall. This is just a building. It's a building. This is not the house that God dwells in. This is. You, you are the temple of the Spirit of God. Here, not this. Not this. This is a, I'm glad we have this. But if we didn't have this, we would still have this. This is where God is at. First Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you, you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? This is a building. I believe that the church is headed for some very difficult times. And we, like Israel, can attempt to take the church to the world and use our programs, our strategies, and our ideas. And we can maybe fail doing that. Or we can take ourselves to the Lord before we go out to the world. Before we go out into the world with our plans, let's take ourselves to God by faith, prayer, meditation of His Word, repentance, and reformation. And ask God, Lord, where would you want to take us? And may we have the courage and the strength to follow you. Because apart from God, my friends, we will fail and fail miserably. We need to seek first the kingdom of God. Then all this other stuff be added to us. But seek him first. Join him in his camp not he and ours. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this people. And now, Lord, as we close the service, strengthen us in the inner part of our being 
that we might be totally sold out as your servants, as warriors for Jesus, joining you in your camp, God, that we may be a blessing to you. In Christ's name, amen.